welcome, welcome, welcome to the School of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for joining us again, family. Thank you so much. Today, we're going to talk about the Laodicean message based on Revelation 3, 12 to 22. And this is um, the message of the hour, the message of the age. This is the message that um, predominantly refers to the first world countries. And we are in this age right now. And so I want to take a moment to present this teaching to us because this is where I believe that the Lord fired me up. This is where the Lord uh, gave me the fire that is in my bones for this time period. And I believe that as we're We've entered the era of fire. We just left, I believe, the era of wine and going deep into the Lord and soaking and hanging out and doing all this stuff. Now we're getting into another age where there's going to be more persecution. There's going to be more advancement, acceleration. There's going to be torque. And so that comes where the Lord is refiring us, reawakening us. All the re's are happening to us. And so this Laodicean message has to deal with how the Lord is dealing with the half-hearted, lukewarm spirit in the church today. And so without further ado, I'm going to begin to uh, read the scriptures from Revelation 3, 12 to 22. And I'm telling you, you're going to love this because this message is such a powerful message that every time I preach and teach this message, I'm teaching to myself. I'm convicted by Holy Spirit over and over again, over and over again. And I tell you this, there is such a fire on this scripture. There's such a burning of the scripture, such a burning spirit of burning. I believe there's a spirit of the fear of the Lord in this message as we are in the Laodicean age. And here is the Laodicean message. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed 
that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3, 12 through 22. Wow. As I'm reading this, I'm just getting all these words and messages that I want to just skip ahead and just go, wow, but I'm going to have to hold myself. Now, just to put a little bit of some background here, when you look at the seven churches and the messages that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to these churches, you will understand one thing, that the way that the Lord is representing or presenting this is that he begins to release the qualifiers. And he talks about how he is well able to be able to talk about this. Then he goes into the things that that this church is actually doing. And then he goes into how to correct it. And then he goes into the rewards. Now, in previous teachings, we went through Revelation 1 and 2. And in there, we spoke about how the book of Revelation itself, it is a book about not only the end times, but it's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the revelation of Jesus Christ is the revealing. It's called the apocalypsis, meaning it's the revealing. And so Jesus is being revealed and it's about him. It's about the majesty of who Jesus is, that we get to know how he feels. We get to know how he thinks. We get to know his rulership. And The book of Revelation is like no other book that is found in the Bible in the way that it is a prophetic book and it's the only prophetic book in the New Testament. Of course, Jesus has prophesied in Matthew and in the Gospels, but this is the only book of that kind. And although it was scribed by John, the Revelator is called the Revelator, it was scribed by John on the island of Patmos, It was actually written by Jesus himself. Kings don't write. They have scribes. And when we read the beginning of the scriptures, we notice that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ and it's about him and then about the things that's going to come up. The man and the man behind the plan, Jesus Christ. And it talks all about him. And some of the things that I want to take a look at here, and I'm going to take a pause here for a second. I'm going to open up uh, the first teachings that we had. We're going to do a quick summary so we kind of get to where we're at. All right. So, Revelation 1 and 1 through 20. We're not going to read the whole thing. And here it talks about Jesus 
And it says the apocalypsis is the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus. There is no, this book is to reveal mysteries. A lot of times we look at it as a book of secrets. Yes, there are some things that are mysteries all over the Bible. But the purpose of the book of Revelation, it is the key. Jesus is the key to the book of Revelation. And it is about revealing and what someone told me when I was young, that what it means revelatory or revealing, it means like there is a rock and whatever's under that rock, when you lift that rock, that thing is being revealed. So if there was a snake under that rock, it's being revealed. So the purpose here in the first verse or chapter says the revelation of Jesus Christ, comma, or you can even put a period there, there the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means this is the main purpose. It's revealing who Jesus is. And it says, which God gave him or the father gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. That is the second mission of it. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all things that he saw. Three things that were presented there. John is the one that bore witness to the word of God. That is a revelatory thing that John brought up. As you remember in the gospel of John, he was the one that said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He brought such a revelatory uh, key that Jesus is the word of God. He even spoke about it in first epistle, John five and seven in the new King James version. You can see it in the NIV. You have to look at the subscript, but in there it says that there are three that bear witness in heaven, the father, the word and the Holy spirit. And these three agree as one that revelatory insight or foresight is a key ingredient in understanding who Jesus is as part of the triune God. And it's such a great, great revelatory that he received it from God himself. And that is one of the keys that it even says it in there that he was the one that brought witness to the word of God. In Revelation 19, it also says that his name is called the word of God. You put all those two, uh, those scriptures together, you know that Jesus is the word of God. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us and beheld the glory of the father, full of grace and truth. And then he says, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ the testimony of Jesus Christ and all things that he saw. So those three things are the main things that he's talking about what John as a servant. Now, when I first started reading the book of Revelation, it was because of an encounter that I had from going to a One Thing conference, International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And there... I ran into the teachings of Mike Bickle. As a matter of fact, some of my reading notes that I get from this teaching is from uh, the Book of Revelation Study Guide by Mike Bickle. 
and some of the other ones, I get it from other different sources and everything else, but I wanted to recognize them because when I began to read that, because we had made a commitment to begin to read the scripture, had to read these scriptures at least once a day for two years before I could teach it. And that was in back in 2009, or should I say uh, December of 2008 and January of 2009. And ever since then, I've been either listening to it or reading it. And so <clears throat> one of the things that he said, and that we pick up, according to the scripture, it says this, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. There are three blessings that we get from reading, just reading there's three, there, there, there's, there's blessings, three levels of blessings that we get. The first blessing is just reading it. There is a revelatory thing that happens. If you want to increase in the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of understanding, you want to get into a greater level of the prophetic, read the book of Revelation. Why? Because when you read it, just read it, there's a blessing that gets imparted on you. There's a veil that gets removed off of you. When you hear it, when you just hear it and you act upon it and you obey it, you receive the second level. And then for those who would keep this prophetic word, even up until the end, they would receive the next level of this. If I had the choice, I remember that I had an encounter with the book of Ephesians in the heavenlies, but that became one of my favorite books. But then after I started reading the book of Revelation, I began to understand one thing, that if I had the choice to memorize any book in the Bible, it would have to be the book of Revelation because it is the end time acts of the apostles or the acts of the church. And so another one of my mentor that helped me understand is Paul Keith Davis. And so he gets most of his teachings as well from William Branham in the an exposition of the seven church ages. And so whenever you look at the interpretation of the four views of the book of Revelation, you will notice that there are these four views. There are the historicists, the preterists, the futurists, idealists. And what I do is I take some of each not all in one. And I always say this in the school of the Holy Spirit, we eat the meat and throw away the bones. So the historicist is the view is that it is prophecy about a church history from the time of John to the end of the world. The preterist is the prophecy that was fulfilled primarily in the first century AD. The futurist is revelation, is prophecy primarily about the future end of the world. The idealist is the non-historical and non-prophetic drama about spiritual realities. So 
We just take whatever that it is that is there. I don't look at things. If it says it's a symbol, then I look at it as a symbol. If it says it's, it's, it's this, then I look at it as that. I don't add anything. I just look at it and we just dissect it. And we say, Holy Spirit, you show us. So now that I have you a little bit caught up, you get to understand and see that in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, the revealing, it is that it's not a secret. It is Jesus himself revealing the battle plan of what is going to happen. It's almost like I've heard someone say, there's a boxer who is about to kick your butt and he's going to tell you exactly left jab, right jab, uppercut before, years before. He's the end from the beginning and this is what he's doing. Jesus lives outside of time. And some places it would say the word angel because it's for the word messenger in Greek. And so some places you would think it's an angel as in an angel that is an angelic, but no, it's actually a messenger. We have to remember that it's a messenger. And one of the places that it does that is when they're referring to that we just heard and we just read that John received that word, the prophetic word, by an angel, right? And then he was supposed to send it out to the seven churches. We're going we're gonna to read more of that later. But there's a messenger, but he calls him an angel. But that's the thing. It doesn't make any sense that an angel will give it to John and then John will give it to another angel to give it to the church, the seven churches. No, it's actually the word was transliterated there. So it's supposed to be an angel gave it to John. John gives it to a messenger or a leaders of those seven churches. Now, before I begin, I just want to say this about John. And then we can continue to what we needed to look at. It says here, I, John, both your brother, one, and companion of the tribulation or in the tribulation, two, and the kingdom, three, patience of Jesus Christ, four, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, five, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, six things that John talks about there. Brother, companion in tribulation, kingdom, patience of Jesus Christ, the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. All those things, someone can write a book on that. Someone can. That we are family, we are the family of God. He presented himself as family, as a brother. Then he presented himself in the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus Christ, companion in the tribulation. And then he talks about the kingdom. Then he talks about the patience of Jesus Christ. That is something that we need to research and look into. What is the patience of Jesus Christ? He is waiting for the bride. He is waiting for the bride to be ready, the bride to make herself ready. The patience of Jesus Christ, what does that look like? And then he talks about the word of God, which we talked about. And then the testimony of Jesus Christ. We win by the blood and the testimony and our testimony. But then here it talks about the testimony of Jesus Christ. So now 
I know that is a lot. And, but I want you to know and understand that the book of Revelation is the unveiling and the unfolding of things not known. And that means it would say mysteries revealed. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the bride, the church, who, when she understands who she is, she will make herself ready. And so it is, it would be very imperative that we know and understand this book like never before. And as a matter of fact, there will be an increase in the teaching, in understanding of this book. It, because it reveals Jesus' majesty, intentions, leadership, battle plan of the end times. You will get to know Jesus because of this book as king, priest, and prophet. Of course, he's a judge. That's what kings do. They judge. You will also see the majesty and the beauty of the Lord glorified and how he fits in with the Father and Holy Spirit as the Son of Man forever. So he shares his heart to the seven churches to correct, to discipline, to bring them to maturity. And the instructions of corrections and direction are laid out for the bride to know how to make herself ready. He is coming back to a prepared bride. One that is unafraid of the unveiling. Now, there are several things that I'm going to list out and then we're going to begin on the Laodicean message. It says, it's a book not only about an event, but the man behind the plan, Jesus. There are 30 descriptions of Jesus' majesty and ministry. Jesus talks about 18 or 22 eternal rewards, depending on how you see them. Some are possible repeats. Prepare the end time church for the end time event. It also has to deal with six specific temptations on the collective and on the personal level of each believers. Immorality, idolatry, the doctrine of Nicolaitans, leaving of our first love, having a name that we are spiritually alive, but we are actually dead. Lukewarmness, which is spiritual passivity, which we'll cover today. Three of the seven churches in their individuals' lives needed to give themselves in a more concerted way. There are seven pictures or letters of how an overcoming church should look like. Jesus' solutions to these problems are presented. It's very important. He doesn't just give the correction, but he gives us the solution on how to fix them. There are also warning against fear, warning against what other people are thinking of you as you serve him faithfully, fear of rejection or persecution. There are promises as well. And these promises that we talked about, they are for those who overcome. And when we overcome, we call them overcomers. And I believe someone said before that in the Old Testament, they are called remnant. In the New Testament, they are called overcomers. And so it would allow us to lay hold of something and get a particular reward. And there are 18 or 22, depending on our curriculum, eternal rewards. And I believe these 
rewards we are able to enter in today. Today. So, Jesus, back to the scripture of the Laodicean message, he begins by saying, Jesus knows our works. These works can be cold or hot, one or the other. It shows in this that there are those who are lukewarm. These are neither cold nor hot. The Lord equates your works with who you are. And these works I'm talking about here and what he's talking about here is not the work that he did on the cross. Let's not let's just make sure that we get that on the get-go, on the outset. These works he's talking about is what it says in the scripture that the works will be tested by fire. Faith without works is dead. That kind of work. The works that he did like miracles, signs, wonders, the work that we do for him after salvation. Those works is what he's talking about. Building our own salvation, working our own salvation, continuing in laboring in the business of our father. That is the work he's talking about. Because remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And he brought grace and truth. And so this work that he's talking about is not included in the foundation that he has done on the cross. It is after that. And so whatever that you build on top of that, whatever is wood, clay, hay, will be tested by fire. What you're doing today on this earth will be tested to see if it is either of metal, clay, wood, or hay. Now, lukewarm, according to the Merriam-Webster, also means lacking conviction and half-hearted besides the meaning that we know is moderately warm or tepidness. This word of lukewarmness reminds me of the following scripture, which Jesus taught on the seed, which represented the word of God in the parable. You guys know it very well. It's Luke 8 and 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. They have heard, they go out, they choke with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. These are believers who have heard the word of the Lord, but they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. These are the same that do not come to maturity because of the seed that doesn't die to self and doesn't reproduce itself. They don't grow enough to be able to produce any fruit, which is a sign of maturity. Fruit is a sign of maturity of the life cycle of the seed. But the seed has to die to self. The seed has to die, penetrate the earth, receive nutrient, receive water, spirit, receive the sun, receive heat, grow. 
And that seed, according to that revelatory teaching and the parable, is the word of God. And we just talked about it a little bit ago. We want to go deeper. Jesus is that seed. He is the word of God in you, the hope of glory inside of you that is growing and he should be growing to maturity to become at least 33 and a half years old. Jesus, the fullness of the Lord Jesus in you growing and producing fruit, the works, the mature and the mature sons, the wheels, mature sons of God. That's where we have to be in order for us to produce fruit. Now, when these go out of the shadow of the wings of the Lord, which is his presence and safety and community and counselors, they rely on the riches of pleasures of life, which restricts the seed from growing. What are we saying? We're saying that we have so many excuses in our lives, especially in the first world countries. We say, oh, I'm busy. I have to do this. And then you end up on Facebook for three hours, social media for so many hours. But you can't spend an hour to spend time with the Lord. You can't spend two hours to read the word. Oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. I got to do these bills. I got to do that. And then you end up watching Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu or whatever. And you binge on it and you stand. Come on. We all did this stuff. They have heard and go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Those are the things that are choking the word of God that is inside of you and hindering you from producing fruit. I am talking to myself here. Maybe this is not something you deal with. And I'm being facetious. The things in this world have become such a distraction. Day-to-day -day worries, the idols of entertainment and our modern daily living, those are the things that are crippling and making us lukewarm. The pleasures of life are not evil when enjoyed in moderation, people. But when they begin to overtake us, we lose focus of the word of the Lord, Jesus. The hindrances we are talking about here are not just once or twice, but a steady lifestyle without discipline to overcome lukewarm attitude. These idols of entertainment are sub subversives. They're subversive tools. That's how the enemy come in. He's subtle. Slowly, slowly perverting and corrupting our mortals into seeing sinful behaviors as normal. 
And this is what I mean. Our minds are seared with a hot iron, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. 1 Timothy 4.2 The normalization of sinful behaviors reminds me of the metaphor of the boiling frog who is in a state placed in lukewarm water, which is pleasurable and enjoyable. The frog is slowly subverted and deceived from the dangers of hot water. They remain thinking they can get out whenever they feel they can. Some would say, I'm not addicted to this or that. Oh, I can watch just one of these or I can only eat one of those. I can lay it down whenever I want. Famous last words. This type of behaviors and conduct removes the spirit of discipline and excellence from our conduct to want to serve the Lord with our original youthful love and zeal, which we once had at our conversions. The excuse of saying that we are not being religious, but mindful of the culture of the world falls in the same category, people. We need to become more mature and say it's time to grow up. It's time to produce fruit. It's time to leave those things that are immature behind and begin to step into a place of duty, discipline, then delight. I've heard that before several places already. But we have to do it. We got to get there. Let's look a little bit. Let's take a turn and let's look at, a, at, at the history of the Laodicean people and how they came about and what, how is this message? How did they interpret this message in their culture? So on the other hand, the etymology or the study of the word Laodicea and where the city was located. Um, so let's look at that real quick here. Laodicea means people's rights, or some people say it's justice. It was very common and was given to several cities in honor of the lady, Laodicea. That's what that city was named after. It was most politically important and financially flourishing city in Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is present-day Turkey. And it was very large in terms of property that they had. And they had a lot of citizens that were rich there, very rich. It was almost like New York City. They had a lot of bankers there. They even had a great medical school there, which will come into play in one of the uh, scriptures here. And so these people were very proud. They're very, very proud. And as I said before, this, the name of the city was named after the wife of Antiochus II, king of Syria. Laodicea was her name, which means justice. As we said, the, the, the people's justice or the people's right. And it also, also was the people of common fairness. The city was 40 miles east of Ephesus. That was the church that I believe that John was the apostle there at one point before he was uh, incarcerated um, on the island of Patmos, which is about south-southwest of all those churches there. 
um, off the shore there. And so the city was 40 miles east of Ephesus and just southeast of Hierapolis. And we're bringing Hierapolis here because uh, Hierapolis has a significant play in that because of the um, they had these um, hot uh, springs there. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. The city was originally called Diospolis and then Rojas before it was named Laodicea. When it was rebuilt by the king of Syria mentioned above, uh, this was one of the most important flourishing cities on Asia Minor at the time. It was also considered one of the chief seats of Christianity um, that you can you can actually see it in some of the places. I'm not going to read every one of them. Colossians 2.1, where it talks about Epaphras, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, all that. Laodicea, those in Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Memphis. It's been talked a lot in those scriptures. And so that was a very busy place. And Laodicea was a place of great wealth. That's what I want you to get out of all that stuff. So they were very proudful people. It reminds me of some of the first world country today. It was the only city in the region that refused disaster relief from Rome after a devastating earthquake in 60 AD because they had the money to rebuild it on their own. It's like, we don't need your help. We can do it on our own. What you are seeing today in America is a result of the Lord's judgment on America as a wealthy nation, which has been normalized in the Laodicean spirit of lukewarmness. Just like the city of ancient Laodicea, which was a center of trade and banking business, the United States has become as such, and many other countries that are superpowers or in that place in order for us to be able to triumph over this spirit over our nation we must overcome by buying gold refined by his fire there is a price to pay the lord is refiner's fire and he's able to purge us by his fire our destiny is to not be like the seed mentioned in Luke 8.14, which fell among thorns. America has become a place of much enjoyable riches and distractions from the cares of life, which choke the seed or the word of God in our lives. Our entertainment and lifestyles have normalized sinful behavior to be tolerated and accepted. These are idols in the lives of many of us Christians. And it has influenced us to a place where we have been nurtured from bringing any fruit, which we've said that it was a sign of immaturity. When we bring fruit, we are mature.
consider this time as a time of trials and testing as a nation, because it's to help us come out from among the filth of this world. It says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. The Lord wants to consecrate us to his work, to his business, to his, his word, his spirit. It says, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. We must consecrate ourselves and ready ourselves for battle. There is a purging that is happening in the body of Christ first. And in order for us to be able to release any kind of fire that will awaken and reawaken and revive the masses and bring in the harvest, we must be set on fire first as individuals. We must match a light of flame on our own bodies and say enough is enough. We are done dealing with these sins that easily beset us. The little things, the small foxes that spoil the vine. All these things we must put aside. Because the mercies of God endures forever and triumphs over judgment. That's how we triumph over judgment. It's the mercies of God. We are won by His goodness. We as a people must continue to seek the Lord in a manner which brings us to a place of fruit and maturity. We must become churches not of operating in the confines of buildings, but which operates outside of them into the world, bringing the harvest. Not going after sheep. Bringing new flocks to the fold bringing the lost into a place of maturity and joining ourselves to the unity of the bride of Christ on the earth as one body in union with him it seems to me that there is a major restructuring of the church and it is happening swiftly And the Lord is removing kings and he's placing kings. A changing of the guard is happening. He's restructuring the church. And I, I, I had prophesied this back in 2015. And it's coming to pass. The Lord is removing the hinges of the door and he's removing the whole door of religion it's time for the kingdom it is time for the kingdom this is coming to pass in a way that none of us could ever imagine for some of us it took us by surprise 
The Lord is separating us from that which is lukewarm and lacking of passion. Passion is fire. Fire is passion. The passion of His love. He is reawakening the hearts and minds of many to a fiery zeal of what is first. And that is the love of Jesus and souls. That is the first commandment. First, loving God with all our hearts, with all our strength, with all, all of our being. And then loving people as we love ourselves, our future brethren and our sisters. Our passionate pursuit for what is holy and clean should be of the utmost importance again and again. What is of the kingdom of heaven must be first again. We must pursue the kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness. The Lord said, we must submit to him, to submit to God and then resist the devil. James 4 and 7. And by leaving this type of mediocre and disciplined lifestyle, the Lord will receive us. When we leave the lukewarmness, as in the words of Jesus, we must therefore be zealous and repent. That is the solution that he's bringing. We must be zealous and repent. Repenting means to turn the other way and begin walking. Change your mind. Change the way you're walking. Change your course. Because he rebukes and chastens as many as he loves. He loves us. So he's releasing this message in this time, in this hour. We must return to our strong convictions and wholeheartedness for the things of God like never before so He can release the spirit of the fear of the Lord and so that our works will be greater, greater. We must place the first commandment as number one in our lifestyle. He loved us so that we may be to love Him. He loved us first so we can love Him. When we love Him, we are easily able to love ourselves and those around us. This love through compassion is when we begin to release the kingdom. The kingdom is healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching many unto salvation and making disciples of Jesus. This is what's coming to America as we embrace the mercy of God for our nation. His desire for us is for us to be planted in His house forever. That's what He wants. So therefore, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Now remember, I told you these guys thought they were rich, but He's telling them that you're not rich. That rich is not real rich. It can be eaten by worms and canker and all this other stuff. Mold. That's not rich. Money on this earth and all. He says it's not rich. He says that I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. 
that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And that nakedness is the same nakedness from Genesis to Revelation is the same nakedness. It's shameful. And he says, anoint your eyes with thy salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I will come to him and he with me. He wants to visit us and he wants us to visit him. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame, sat down with my father on his throne. If you're hearing his voice right now in this message, repent and be zealous and set yourself on fire again for being in his presence for the washing of the water of his word over your spirit and soul. It is a process of sanctification. Get back in that place. Pray that the Lord will cover you with his blood and his mercy would triumph over the judgments and that you would be found in the riches of his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. It's time for you to return to the Father's house now, right now, right now. You may not have another day or a moment of clarity like this one. He is knocking on the door of your heart. He is ready to receive you with hugs of joy for your obedience, an obedient heart in returning. He loves you. That's why he's rebuking you. That's why he's correcting you. That's why he's disciplining you. He loves you. What does buying gold refined by his fire mean? It means we must pursue and pay a very costly price. Character and the fruit of the Spirit are very costly. And these only come when patience has its perfect work. James said it this way, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing that's James 1 2 to 4 trials and tribulations that's how you pay the price that very costly price sometimes that's what we need the riches of this world do not compare to the glory to come. That's why we must count it all joy when we fall into virus trials. These earthly riches are corrupted and will not last long. There have no use for us in the afterlife. We will not be able to take them with us. But the works we do for the Lord here on earth today, right now, are transferable to our eternal life. Our hearts learning to love Jesus and those he has placed in our lives is what could be the gold or glory that could be transferable. Our trials and sufferings and the fellowship of his suffering. This we must count it all joy. 
What are the white garments? James says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. James 5, 1 through 2. Our clothing or garments on earth are perishable items and can be moth-eaten. We must put on the robes of righteousness as mentioned in Revelation 19.8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, the bride of Christ, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. For first and foremost, it is righteousness his righteousness that makes up the base of that white garment. And on top of that, the works, that's where the works and the acts of the saints come upon. But it's foundation, it's his righteousness. It is his garment of favor. The garment, the tunic of many colors even Joseph had that because it was given to him not by his natural father but by his father in heaven that tunic that we see in the natural was a representation of the father of light the rainbow is what constitute the completion of the light the bright light the fullness that favor that is the garment of righteousness from the Lord Himself. Finally, this letter from Jesus to the saint is to show another facet of failure of the body of Christ must guard itself from. We must guard ourselves from this lukewarmness, this spirit of Laod the Laodicean spirit. We are in the Laodicean age because this is the predominant spirit that is happening to us and our people. It shows us a manner the people of God can backslid. The good thing that the Lord Jesus does in this message is He always gives us a remedy on how to fix the problem. Those who can overcome these maladies will be able to come to maturity and therefore mature to inherit all that is described as rewards. We must begin to take these prophecies by Jesus himself, not only personal, but as an end-time battle plan strategies on how to defeat our foes and to equip the bride for the end-time revival awakening. The bride must make herself ready. The unfaithful attitude of the church must end now, and we must be mature sons, wheels, we must learn to walk in our preordained power and authority right now. Right now, because things are about to change in the world, on the earth. The powers to be are raising their heads up and things are changing very quickly. And we must take our, prop, our, our, prop, our rightful place a proper place on this earth we must occupy until he returns. That is our proper place. 
What is ISALF? Remember we said earlier that they had the best medical facilities in, in this area? They had the best medical facilities. They were rich and they also had the medicine. And let me just let me just go in the order. So we let's just read it here so we can see it. I don't want to jump ahead again. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Revelation 3.18. The word eye salve means kolurion. According to Thayer's definition, kolurion. It means a preparation composed of various materials and used as a remedy for tender eyelids. This is what the CEV says in Revelation 3.18. says, buy medicine for your eyes so that you will be able to see. Laodicea was also famous for the best health care, especially eye care. They had medical school in the city and the natural resources used for the eye ointment or the medications. So we see it. They were bankers. They were rich. They had land. And they also had a medical school. They had all the resources for eye ointment and the medication provided. That's why they were so proud. But the Lord spoke their language in their culture and told them. Here we see that the constant issues that Laodicea were very prideful people because they had an abundance of resources. The same that goes along with the gold, the garments, goes with the eye medication. They claim they are rich, but in Jesus' eyes, they are really poor. They claim to be clothed with garments, but they are really naked. They claim to be able to see, but they are really blind. I'm going to read a series of scriptures supporting this. It says, And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and the, those who see may be blind. John 9, 39. And he said, Go and tell these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah 6 and 9. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Isaiah 6 and 10. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Matthew 13 and 13. And in them... The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Matthew 13 and 14. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that it should heal them. Matthew 13 and 15. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Matthew 13 and 16. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it 
and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Matthew 13 and 17. Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who have ears and hear not. Jeremiah 5 and 21. The eyes to see equals understanding. Use the power of substitution. Everywhere you see eyes to see, they equal understanding. He says, hear this now, foolish people, without understanding, who has eyes and, and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear. For they are a rebellious house. Ezekiel 12 and 2. Rebellion causes blindness and deafness. Look at us today. We think we see. We think we know. But we don't see. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. Matthew 13 and 15. You see with your heart. When the heart is grown dull, you cannot see nor understand. You are in need of healing from your rebellion. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet. Through Isaiah the prophets of our fathers. Acts 28 and 25. Saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that they should not, so they should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. That was from Acts 28. This scripture has been repeated over and over. What then has Israel obtained what it seeks, but the elect have, ob have, have obtained it and the rest were blinded? Romans 11 and 7. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Romans 11 and 8. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and recompense to them. Romans 11 and 9. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their, their back always. 
Holy Spirit is the eye salve, people. Holy Spirit is the eye salve or the medicine or the anoint the ointment we need in order to see clearly. He quickens the heart and gives understanding to a heart that is wholehearted. Hence, He, Holy Spirit, says this at the end of this Laodicean message. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's Revelation 3 and 22. It is by the Spirit of God that we see and hear what God's desires are for His bride, the church. Now, before I summarize, I want to explain to you what I was talking about earlier about where Laodicea was located. Laodicea because it had lacked its own water supply, had to have it transported from nearby city of Hierapolis. The water in Hierapolis came out of the ground hot. They had springs of hot water and they had people that would go there to bathe. And that water would travel through some aqueducts all the way down to Laodicea approximately 9.6 kilometers. But the water became lukewarm by the time it got to Laodicea. And the water was useless to the people of Laodicea because it was lukewarm. Lukewarm water could not be drank. People drank cold water. And it was muggy and nasty. So... They either wanted cold water or hot water to bathe, and they couldn't have neither. So they didn't drink that water. And so when Jesus brought that up, they understood exactly what it meant to be hot or cold. They understood about lukewarmness. So the citizens, they had to make the water either hot to bathe, warm it up, or cold in order for them to drink it. So they understood that. And so this makes so much perfect sense why the Lord Jesus says, you got to be either hot or cold or else you are useless to me. I will spit you out. Let's ask ourselves, where are we at? We can't straddle the fence anymore. We can't be people that are binging some Netflix shows for 10 hours and then go preach and go teach. Binge on the Holy Spirit. Binge on Him. On His presence. This message will continue to be very relevant to us right now who live in first world country, especially the United States. I believe this message will still apply until we actually enter in the waiting revival and greatest awakening we have all been waiting for. And I believe we're already in it, but there's yet more to come. It's that you need to have eyes to see and ears to hear that we are already in it. We are already in it. But the Lord 
is looking for you. The eyes of the Lord, the seven spirits of God, the tutors, they are looking and searching for mature sons of God, sons of thunders. They're looking and searching for you. Are you ready to mature? Are you ready to step up? It is time for you to step up, people. It is time. Come out from among them. Come up. Being confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 and 6. The Lord who has begun the good work in us will surely complete it. When we surrender our hearts to Him, how many of us can truly say we are on fire for the Lord and have been on a steady streak with the Lord? I believe we must ask the Lord to be the judge of this. Ask the Lord, have I been on fire for you? Or a bit lukewarm. Be honest with the Lord. We need to press into the Lord with all our hearts and minds and strength like never before. We must be in a constant repentant mode, asking the Lord to show us how wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked we are, despite the things that we think we have. The cars, the TV, big screen TVs, and the channels, and all this stuff, and the clothes. We are naked and blind, and miserable, in need of I salve, in need of Holy Spirit, in need of the clothing of righteousness of the Lord, in need of His fire, in need of Holy Spirit fire. We need the baptism of water, we need the baptism of Holy Spirit, and we also need the baptism of fire. What are blind spots? What are our blind spots in our spiritual relationship with the Lord? Are we so busy with the worries and day-to-day -day duties and matters that we forget that we are distracted? Can we focus more? Can we be more hungrier for the Lord? Yes, there is always more. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. We must continually renew our mind, seeking those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. We must clothe ourselves with garments of His righteousness, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness while fulfilling the first commandment is the great reminder on how to remain steady and focused. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord with 
your God. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. I believe there is always room for improvement when it comes to serving the Lord. The first step is recognizing that we must repent of any level of lukewarmness in our lives and then push, delete, and reset. Every day is a day to begin a new pursuit with the Lord. He is waiting. He is faithful till the end. Obedience of His instructions. That's what we must do. Fasting and praying with reading of the Word. This will reignite your will into the things of God. Preaching the Word of God to new believers or the ones that are not believers. Being a disciple to others. That is a constant reawakening of the Spirit with hunger. For His presence and touch will be necessary. Another thing that we need to do is fellowshipping with believers as we are now here in this place. But fellowship with believers who are on fire for the Lord on a constant basis, just like a hot coal in a furnace or in a fireplace. That hot coal, when you put other coals around it, they will catch on fire. They will be ignited. Be that one that is on fire and set ablaze. Set yourself ablaze with Him and have everybody else around you to be on fire. The fire of God is contagious. It illuminates. It burns. The fire of God. It cleanses. It purifies. It purges. Set yourself on fire again. When you help those who are in need, you set yourself on fire. When you're praising and worshiping in daily worship, you set yourself on fire. That is your weapon of warfare. Worship. And keep those critters out from your body, from oppressing you. Maintain freedom from demonic oppression and subversion. That's the key. In ascending, fast, at least weekly, lead. We must guard ourselves from the Laodicean spirit. And we must keep this message. As we said earlier, those who read, the words of this prophecy, those who hear this word of this prophecy and those who keep it, hear it and keep it. Be faithful. The Lord knows our works. We must make sure they're fire brands, they're wholehearted. I will leave you with these Words of Holy Spirit. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.